everybody and welcome back to the Off The Key Podcast, where we talk about music, both new and old. I'm your host, Mac, and today I'm joined by my two regular co-hosts, Garrett, and James. What's up? And today we'll be talking about the brand spanking new third LP from Black Mini, Hellfire. So, Black Mini are a London-based rock band formed in 2017 by Jordy Greep on vocals and guitar, Cameron Picton on vocals, bass, guitar, and synths, Matt Kelvin on vocals and guitar, and Morgan Simpson on drums. The band also frequently collaborates with keyboardist Seth Evans and saxophonist Kaidi Akinibi, and I'm sorry if I got that butchered. If you're wondering where their name comes from, it's actually derived from the Japanese music genre known as Black Mini, but their music really has no relation to it. The group's sound is very eclectic, I'd say, but it has been described as many variations of post-punk, experimental rock, math rock, progressive rock, and noise rock. It's a lot to take in, but if I had to just throw one big blanket over them, I would say maybe like post-punk with a mix of progressive rock. Yeah, that's pretty accurate. They definitely stay in those veins, although they are very experimental. They like to throw out a bunch of other genres into the mix. Um, This album includes several Latin grooves to Mm -hmm. it and a lot of world music influence, especially in the rhythm and percussion side. Um, There's a show tunes which is wild. Uh, a little bit of country, too, On uh, I'd say on Still. Yeah. yeah, and there's some Motown and funk influence as well. Yeah, these guys are very studied musicians, to say the least. Haven't some of them gone to music school? Yeah, they went to art school. I forgot to check where, but um, they have mentioned going to art school in London, I believe, the majority of them. We'll go ahead and get into the kind of backstory of the band itself a little bit. So, the group released their debut single, BM, 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 under the Speedy Underground label in 2018, and that generated a lot of buzz for the band in the London underground rock scene. Now, the following year, they finally released their new label debut under Rough Trade Records, Schlagenheim, to widespread critical acclaim. It entered the Top 50 UK Albums chart. They even performed at the uh, Mercury Awards. Now, Rough Trade might sound very familiar to you. If you know a lot about record labels, uh, Rough Trade is actually very famous for several different bands. Um, They're an independent record label in London, known for signing a wide variety of rock and any based acts such as Alabama Shakes, Arcade Fire, Parquet Courts, Julian Casablancas, Sofian Stevens, The Smiths, The Strokes, Mazzy Star, and many, 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 many more. Pretty bussin' record label. Schlagenheim was critically acclaimed is very popular in music nerd circles and even got a little bit of mainstream recognition. A lot of YouTube critics, a lot of music review outlets took a liking to the album and gave it some press. It did surprisingly well for how experimental and angular that album was, but I enjoyed it nonetheless. And that was around the time I discovered them too. So we move on Uh, a couple years later, their sophomore album Cavalcade came out. And I would say this is a pretty big stylistic progression for the band. They start to, become a little bit more concise. They don't need these long tracks to, you know, make buildups to really carve out that tension in a song. It feels like they take what they've learned from Prague and they're just like, let's transfer this to a new medium and yeah. then let it that run wild in that space. Yeah, Black Mini, you see them kind of finding their sound more on Cavalcade. You can just tell that they've improved all around as musicians. Now, the songwriting still leaves a little bit to be desired on Cavalcade, and there are a couple of tracks that I thought the production was a bit bad on, 
But overall, fantastic album. It's actually my favorite rock album of 2021. So needless to say, I was very, very, very excited for Hellfire. Yeah, it's definitely up there. And uh, I think by the end of this year, Hellfire will definitely be up there as well. It'll be up there in just albums in general. But as far as like any rock-related list goes, I mean, for me right now, this is number one. That really goes to show the direction rock is going experimental like boundary pushing phase yeah yeah rock is kind of in a weird experimental phase i'm okay with that i think it's fine but uh, i wouldn't say that at least this little slice of rock is going to push beyond the mainstream too much yeah it's eventually going to come back down to the middle yeah yeah, and I really don't mind the boundary pushing stuff. I think that's cool. I mean, I and there are still pockets of rock music that are appealing and scratching those itches. It's just you got to do a little more digging. Yeah, and that's one thing that's kind of surprised me about Black Mini is for how out there and experimental and unapologetically themselves Black Mini is as a band. They're doing pretty well. They're actually getting a lot of buzz. They're kind of a critical darling right yeah, now. Yeah, and that can... Back then, that wouldn't have really pushed you very far. But now, whereas, you know, where media outlets, and especially, like, YouTubers are... Carry a lot more weight. If you're in with those, like, review channels or those review media outlets, then you really go a long way. And they're riding that wave right now. Yeah, this Hellfire has been getting loads of praise. I mean, it even peaked at 22 on the UK albums chart. For a little background, Hellfire was actually released on July 15th of 2022. We're actually talking about it a week after the release. I have worn this thing out in a week. I've probably listened to this album like 16 times. Jesus, Murphy. Oh, it's, it, it's still too experimental for me to listen to it that much, but I've listened to it quite a bit. I will never wear it out for me. That you know, we're Post-punk, post-rock, any of those post-genres in general and the more experimental rock, it's kind of like a really rich German chocolate cake where you you'll you'll get it like you know once a week and you'll just enjoy the heck out of it you're but you're like man I, I do not I can't eat this every day like it's so it's too rich yeah. it's too yeah. it's kind of like that for me where it's like it's good but I'm not gonna like use and abuse it now to get into the background of the band a little bit or at least the production process of this album this album was actually recorded while the band was isolating in London during the pandemic Jordy Greep, the uh, band's main writer, he actually commented that if Cavalcade was a drama, then Hellfire is an epic action film. He also went on to say that the album would be told in a first-person perspective from characters he deemed scumbags. Additionally, when he was asked about the songwriting process for Hellfire, he said, Almost everything I write is from a true thing, something I experienced and exaggerated and wrote down. I don't believe in hell, but all that old-world folly is great for songs. I think that is a great precursor to kind of understanding the perspective of this album because it can be very confusing. On first listen, I was lost. I was just kind of enjoying the ride. This is a very dense album. This is one of those albums that you do not feel bad if you have to look up, like, not only just, like, what Jordy is saying, but, like, what it actually means. On some parts, he is just... He just blisters through lyrics, like oh yeah, especially on the races about to be. On the races about to be. Oh yeah, Black Mini. I think they're aware of this. See the way I interpret it, and you know the band doesn't take themselves super seriously. I mean, there are messages, but I think they write their music in such a way that you can just kind of sit down and enjoy the ride. 
you don't really have to pay super attention to the lyrics, but I think if you do, you get a lot more out of it. But if you do, it's about a week's worth of music in 38 minutes. Good Lord, this thing is dense. <laughs> Side A, so blistering. It reminds me of how fast, how upbeat, how, how much of a thrill ride Side A of Remaining Light is by the Talking Heads, how it's just, just so just upbeat, it's just oh, so yeah. fast, there's so much going on. But this side is also very cohesive in the sound and the break and the, like, the follow-throughs are crisp. Yeah, this is an incredibly paced album. And it keeps you, so, it keeps you really engaged. Yeah, it's a roller coaster from start to finish, but it is a fun roller coaster. Now, one thing I kind of want to note about Black Midi and their dynamics. Now, the first thing you're going to notice when you listen to Black Midi, they have this tendency in their songs. It's very common in their structure, and you'll notice it when I point it out, but they'll go really, 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 very, very, very quiet into very, 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 very loud, very fast. It's very jarring. And that's part of the reason why their music feels like a freaking roller coaster, man. They're going from soft to loud so intensely and so quickly, and then they're already moving on to the next thing. You have to focus hard. It can easily pass you by if you're not careful. I actually think this is their most approachable album to date. It, despite all of that stuff that's going on, it's super groovy throughout. And I think a big part of that has to do with their drummer. That man is amazing. Yeah, he's very Morgan, good. Morgan Simpson is the man. I feel like the music is very digestible. I feel like it's Jordy's vocal performance. Not only is he really like the the biggest pace pusher, but he's, it's also almost like the kind of like tollway. This is the bridge for entry. If someone listens to Black Midi and doesn't like them, I guarantee you it's because of Jordy's vocal delivery. Yeah. Now, I enjoy all of what he does, but man, when he delved into the show tunes on this album, like giving me some just old school, like just Dean Martin vibes. I wanted so much more of that times 10. And I'm not really a huge fan of his just really like just super fast talking, just kind of word spit like on, you know, oh, races about, yeah, race about yeah, to begin. Yeah. And like early on in the hellfire intro, that doesn't really do it for me. I enjoy it for what it is, but man, when he's, when he really gets into actually like singing, you know, like he's got chomps. One of the nitpicks I guess I have with this album is that, it kind of fits that kind of like super fast talk style works for the just the big roller coaster, just fast paced explosion. That's the first side. Then he he does it a lot still. I mean, it's and it's more measured, but he still does a lot on the second side. And I wish he transitioned the second side. He was more. He brought more of that like kind of show tunes esque sound really out. Really like grand. Yeah, I wish he did more of that. Like almost I, like big band vocals. Yeah, I'll, and I'm not gonna lie. Um, the race is about to begin when I on first listen. I did such a 180 on that song. I hated that song the first time I listened to it. I did not like it. That whole, it that almost distracted me from the music. But then on, on previous listens, I could hear all the riffage and all what the band was doing. And I was like, okay. I was just kind of getting distracted. Once I kind of put that to the back and then let the music come in, I could really see you know, all the good stuff that was going on. Yeah. Yeah. The instrumental in that portion where he's talking really fast, that's crazy. The fact that they are matching the speed of his talking, unreal. So for me, Jordy, he honestly reminds me a lot of Les Claypool. A better singer, for sure, but in terms of delivery oh, yeah. and his inflection and the way he approaches songs and everything, Les Claypool, he is him, almost. In the delivery, now, who I think he sounds like is I think, 
a bastard child of David Byrne from the Talking Heads, uh, a little bit of like Damon Albarn from like Blur and the Gorillas. He's got a little bit of that Lou Reed in it. It's just, it's just it's kind of like, like that talk singing. Yeah, all yeah, yeah. it's like he's absorbed all of like the talk singers that have ever been in rock over like the last few decades, and he's just absorbed them all into one person. He just absorbed their essences. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Of all the uh, vocalists who kind of do that in this current wave of post-punk and post-rock i think jordy's the best at it well yeah because he can actually sing because some of them when that when that falls flat and when that wears out it's welcome they can't sing that's it and to me back in i mean i enjoyed the velvet underground's first two albums but lou reed's biggest weakness is a man cannot sing he cannot yeah but jordy can sing he's got chomps (laughs) to comment on the lou reed thing i think you really see his weakness on that uh metallica collaboration (laughs) Oh, Whoa, Jesus Christ, that's terrible. Uh, <laughs> that, that should have never happened. Oh, man. Yeah, there's talent in creation versus talent in performing, and Lou Reed was definitely more of the talent in creation side. Kind of like Kid Cudi. They're all immensely talented. Now, the saxophonist and the keyboardist, I think they need to be permanent members of the band. I don't know why they aren't already. I mean, agreed. They, they add agreed. so much to this project. The horns, those blaring intense horns on every single track they fill out the sound they fill it out so much and they give it this grand almost big band like presentation to it it feels larger than life and that's one thing i just i love so much about this album and the central themes when i'm listening to this album i almost imagine i'm watching this big jazz band concert in hell I don't know. I think I got to disagree. I think that of all the players that should be there permanently, I think it's old Paul the Vespa player. I think he really deserves. <laughs> a, he really deserves a spot on the bench. Yeah, there's a guy in the liner notes that is credited for making Vespa sounds like the scooter. Yeah, there are there are a lot of really absurd credits on this album. Yeah, definitely give it a read. There, it's just it's great. Yeah, I'm and not- like every instrument they play is credited, and there are guitars and keyboard pieces that I've never even seen before, much less know of. Like, it's incredible. Lionheads go stupid. Between their debut and Cavalcade in this album, they have progressed so much in such a little amount of time as musicians. I think they're getting up there with the greats here. Like, their genre? I would say you could put them in the conversation. You know how you would say Led Zeppelin is one of the greats of classic rock? Well, Black Midi is one of the greats of experimental rock. Uh, I think if they keep on this run, if they keep going, they could cement themselves as one of the best modern rock acts of all time. Another album or two like this, that trajectory, if they keep on rising on that graph, they could be this decade's like best prog band, like how like you know King Crimson in there or this band or, or you Pink know, Floyd or yeah, or the mm-hmm. Pink Floyd of this era. Like they could be that prog band of the modern era. Easy. I would actually agree, Mac. I mean, there's no way of knowing what the future holds, but I'd say, like Eric was saying, if they keep on this trajectory 20, 30, 40 years from now, we'll look back and say, yeah, Black Midi, they were one of the greats of that era. I I think this album is that good. I mean, every song here is an absolute banger and a half. I mean, there are nitpicks. There are sections of songs that I don't enjoy, but I mean, even Hellfire, the opening. Sugar Zoo, the arpeggios, the guitar arpeggios in that song are insane. The sections are very differentiated. They come at you like a wall, but they don't feel out of place. Like I said before, it's kind of like I'm on this roller coaster and it's crazy. There's all these crazy bends and turns and twists, but I'm having fun the whole time. 
Yeah, and then you get into 8-Man 8, which has just incredible parts on percussion. And you start getting Latin influence. Oh, yeah, yep. definitely with mm-hmm. the acoustic guitars. The storytelling is, is, is a little bit more blatant in this song than yeah. it is in others. And, man, Jordy goes absolutely stupid at the end. He goes crazy. That's No, that's actually uh, Cameron Picton on the vocals for the song. Is it really? Yeah, yeah, they have, I forgot to mention this, but they actually have two vocalists. So they have uh, Jordy Greep, who is the main songwriter, and then Cameron Picton, who usually takes the uh, softer songs. I forgot, Interesting. I forgot to mention that, but yeah, no, you're absolutely right, though. Like, at the end of Eat, Man, Eat, when his voice gets, like, pitch shift and he starts screaming, absolutely nuts. And it makes sense in the context of the song, because, you know, the whole overarching theme of Hellfire is the rich and powerful taking advantage of the stupid and poor. And also a major theme of bad people not learning from their mistakes and being punished eternally in hell for it. And I think you get that really strongly on Eat Men Eat because the story of Eat Men Eat is kind of about these two miners. They discover this mining town and they realize that they're actually poisoning the miners and harvesting their blood for this weird blood wine concoction. And the head miner is actually a demon. That's some heavy shit, man. <laughs> yeah, it's just one of those things like you're no. not gonna get that by just yeah. listening. Yeah, no, no. Yeah, I had to I had to read the lyrics to get that, but it makes sense because at the end, because the perspective shifts several times on the song, but at the end when Cameron Picton is screaming in that pitch shifted voice, that is the demon yelling at the two men who blew up the town to curse them. Crazy stuff. Epic rant, one for the ages. Lyrically, I would say this is some metal shit. Yeah, super like, metal. Very, very metal. <laughs> I mean, there are, like, overarching themes in Schlagenheim and Cavalcade, and there are little, like, tidbits and references here and there. They reference Schlagenheim on one track here. There isn't really, like, a lore. You can still enjoy the project on its own, is what I'm trying to say. And I'm glad they did that. It's lyrically cohesive. This is Jordy's strongest set of songs, songwriting-wise. How did you guys feel about Welcome to Hell? It's a great track. It's the best song on this album. I mean, it starts out with a six-stroke roll. There's a few, like, hits in the beginning, and then... The drummer hits a six-stroke roll as the fill to lead into the beginning of the song. If you don't know, a six-stroke roll is a classic Motown and soul R&B fill that's been used countless times in a lot of classics like Stevie Wonder, Aretha Franklin, James Brown songs, Isley Brothers, Sly and the Family Stone. They've all listened to a lot of their songs, and you'll hear a six-stroke roll, often at the beginning of songs. I thought it was hilarious that that was incorporated in this insane, like, hellfire hellscape themed experimental rock music and you know that was all morgan simpson oh yeah (laughs) dude that guy i'm telling you if morgan simpson was not in their band they would not be as catchy as they are definitely not experimental rock prog rock anything like that in general is just you're gonna have a hard time making it work without a solid foundation to keep the listener engaged to keep them grounded keep them holding on to something yes exactly and welcome to hell i, I mean i was getting hardcore primus vibes from this track oh yeah like i for sure. It, i the whole time i was listening to it i was like man this sounds like a primus cut with a better singer pretty much <laughs> exactly <laughs> i mean <laughs> no no slight at less i mean i love claypool but man he's yeah. definitely better known for his bass playing yeah less is one of those people he's like He's kind of like Zappa, and where to make his stuff like be quirky and funny, he makes himself sound bad on purpose. Yeah, like hey, baby, when you want to lay down with me, it's like, come on, <laughs> we get it. Like, stop, stop it. I think it's hilarious. I enjoy it. I, like, I can do it too, but yeah. it's like it's too much. I want my funny to be of substance. I don't like gimmicky funny. Yeah, I think Primus can be funny, but it can definitely be hit or miss. One thing you can't deny about Primus though is they are very 
very groovy, very catchy. Mm-hmm. And they do that very well, and Black Midi does that very well in this song. Yeah, I definitely think they were influenced by Primus on I mean, this album. Yeah, I mean, that drum break in the middle. Crispy. So funky. It's my favorite track, personally. For good reason. Sugar Zoo is also up there. Mm. Yeah, Sugar Zoo is my second favorite. I know we kind of already talked about it, but I just love how those arpeggios bust into that really big, like, blaring horn section, like that doo-doo-doo-doo. So many great moments on this album. It's so dense that it's going to be hard to cover it all, but, you know, we'll move on here. I think Still is probably the weakest track of the first half, but I think it's needed. Like you were saying earlier, Garrett, after that roller coaster of tracks, Still is a nice break. And you need it. That is a nice moment. Given the fact that they decided to put the race is about to begin right after, oh my lord, our necks would snap off. From the, <laughs> the whiplash, <laughs> right? yeah. like, uh, like we would just uh, that would gosh, that'd be too much. Still, it's just like, all right, all right, you've made it this far. It's not like a little pat on the back. It's like you're doing good. Keep keep going. Keep on trucking. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes you know we complain about the pacing, like oh this slow track here. I wish there was more, but I think this is definitely needed. It, it like, was needed here, and it's not that it's a bad track. I actually think it's still a good song. Oh, it's great, and it's, it's got that country influence. So beautiful. I got a bit of Dylan vibes too. Little aside, but uh, James and I, we saw them live. They they have this pretend band that they like to play as called the Orange Tree Boys, and they were playing all kinds of singer songwriter cuts. <laughs> they played "Born to Run" by, Bruce, to Springsteen. Run by Bruce Springsteen. Was, I know, uh, and they nailed that song perfectly, dude. <laughs> it was amazing. But uh, a funny aside about Orange Tree Boys, they actually reference them in the interlude. Yep, the halftime interlude. <laughs> I thought that was hilarious. Stay tuned to 66.6 Hellfire. Yeah, because they have all these like costumes that they'll wear in live performances, you know, when they don't have an opening act or they want to play as that. And canonically, they all have names. I don't want to get too much into like the band lore because I don't think it's necessary, but I thought it was a funny nod in the halftime interlude. You know, we get into the second half, and I do think the second half is a little weaker, but not by much. It feels a bit, has a bit of a calmer pace than the first half. Yeah, yeah, it's slowing down, but it ramps right back up. Gets a little more ballady, though, especially like the defense and uh, dangerous liaisons. That's what I mean. It has much more of a calm demeanor than the first half does because of those ballads. Yeah, like the first half, they just hit you with all the bangers, all the bops, all the killer songs right out the gate. And then the second half is kind of the cool down, but then you, it still kind of ramps back up again. If the first half is a roller coaster, the race is about to begin is one of those insane slingshot rides. Do you know the ones I'm talking about where you're like in one seat and then you just get shot in the air? It has to be, out of any song I've heard, the most lyrics fit into a song. He's like fast rapping. No, well, there's there's context. So the song itself is about this character. I can't remember his name, but he's he's actually mentioned in Welcome to Hell as well. As he was the soldier, wasn't he? Yeah, Welcome he was the hell. soldier. So the soldier it moves back in the race is about to begin to the time before he was drafted before he was conscripted. He was super addicted to gambling and gambling at horse races. Contextually, it makes sense in the song. He's got this dream of, you know, winning a bunch of money on a horse bet and he's super addicted. He's going every day. He's living in this crappy shack awaiting his conscription, just betting all of his money away and hoping and just hoping and hoping and hoping that the horse he bets on wins in the context of the song. When Jordy starts speed racing through lyrics the race begins and the horse race is happening and he's met, he's trying to emulate that horse race announcer style 
And plus, it just adds so much tension to the song. Oh, my God. Which is perfect for the, you know, the theme. One thing I will say thematically I like about the song so much is you you begin to realize that the soldier, this is his eternal torment. This is his hell. I think he's already been dragged down into hell on Welcome to Hell. And at this point in the song, or in the album, when we revisit him, he's reliving those memories over and over and over and over and over again, going back to the race to where it just bleeds together, that gambling addiction. It's just overtaken him, and that's his eternal punishment. We didn't really talk much about Welcome to Hell, but that's very much an anti-war song. Oh, yeah, for sure. And they have many anti-war sentiments. I mean, you even get a similar line on uh, John L. from Cavalcade. It was, um, a man is his country, and your country is you. The line about um, dying for your country doesn't win a war, but killing for your country, yeah. that's what wins a war. That's, that's paraphrasing a George S. Patton quote. That overarching theme of the rich and powerful taking advantage of the stupid and poor is coming into play here. I feel like Black Midi is poking fun at, you know, this whole idealism of war, you know, this this glorification of it. When you're a soldier, when you get conscripted, everybody's like, oh, you're a hero, you're a champion. Yeah, everyone, your family, your friends, your recruiters, all the movies, the music, just a massive amount of culture that surrounds war, even the art and everything from especially during the 19th century. Man, there's so much art from that back then that just glorifies war and poetry and everything. When you get into the real nitty-gritty of it, when you get there... It's not glorified. It's brutal. I mean, it's its own kind of hell. Harsh stuff, man. You can enjoy the album without absorbing all this, but I think it elevates it so much more if you read into it. Well, I mean, Gary, you already kind of went in your thoughts. How did you feel overall about races about to begin? You said you did a 180 on it, right? Yeah. I mean, I still don't really care for the whole the whole vocal section. When you really listen to the, the instrumentals, that they go so hard that you can kind of just, like, tune the vocals out for, for a while. Oh, yeah. Because the guitar playing is phenomenal. Creative, lots of layers, lots of little technical bits. It's wild that on probably my least favorite vocal performance of the whole album that is this is probably one of my favorite like instrumental performances of the album yeah crazy crazy track yeah you know we got not much left i think dangerous liaisons and the defense are the weaker tracks i still really like them i think dangerous liaisons is crazy it's probably my least favorite here but that whole story of you know this cloaked man this approaching this manual labor worker you know dangling cash front in front of him and saying hey i got a job for you you want some cash tricks him into murdering this dude and it turns out to be satan and he drags him back into hell yep that theme comes up again every time i mean all these characters they're all already doomed each character in here on these songs is dealing with their own personal hell and they're all innocent poor impoverished or like just innocent people unsuspecting yeah they're simple people they're just simple people trying to live out their lives and do the best they can follow their passions do their work this is the theme of the album you have these these smart wealthy cunning cunning people persuasive people that come down and give them all these sweet words and dangle the carrot in front of their face you get this if you do something terrible for me and it ruins their lives it ruins the innocent people's lives. And that's manifested in many different forms throughout the stories of each of these songs. And I, I mean, I just think the writing on this is killer. Like conceptually, yeah. it's so cohesive. It's so coherent. It's easy to follow once you kind of look past the intensity and the denseness of the album. 
honestly, this track I think is probably the track that makes it the most apparent the theme of the album. Yeah, yeah. Dangerous Liaisons, to me, that's the song that just drives the concept home. Yeah, it's definitely... Like it's the most straightforward. Yeah, it's the most literal one of them all. Yeah, and I think you kind of need that, though, because, like, you know, the earlier tracks, they're very metaphorical. They're indirect with their themes. You kind of have to peel back a few layers. Dangerous Liaisons, I think it's important in the track list, but I still think it's the weakest. I do like the second half a lot more. The thing that, I, that bothered me about this track was Jordy's performance in the first half. I did not care for it. Something about his performance, I think it showed Jordy's range, range weaknesses a little bit. He hit his ceiling, so to speak. Yeah. He tried to go above it when he shouldn't have. And I know, Garrett, you mentioned you didn't care for the track too much. What were your problems with it? The changes of not only dynamic, but all the, the only parts that they bring in that I like are when they bring in all the little like show tunes influences. And like you said, Jordy has some highs and he has some lows all over the place. Dude, I did really like what he did with like you know, bringing up the show tunes aspect because I, I was like, man, I think the later half would have done better being more solid throughout tracks instead of them just trying to switch you know, the, the dynamic. Down, yeah. yeah, like you don't need to do that with every song. Let's try to make these songs a little bit more, I guess, concise, a little more. A little more of that cool down. Yeah. I kind of agree, but I do think that the dynamics present in the first half and the second half are part of what make the album feel cohesive. Maybe or maybe it's just all in the execution. These are ultimately, I think these are nitpicks. I still enjoyed almost every track here. I think the only one I didn't like is 27 Questions. I didn't really care for it. That's fair. Um, I mean, the closer, 27 Questions, I like the story but you know when it starts getting into those off key and off measure like piano bits towards the end Mm-mm, don't like that i was i wasn't a fan of that either it was a little too jarring and now i get yeah. it conceptually speaking because 27 questions the closer it's about this performer his name's like frosty i think freddie or oh yeah freddie frost so freddie frost the character he's essentially performing his eulogy for this crowd of people and he's living through it over and over and over again and asking these questions, these 27, it wasn't quite 27, but they make a joke and point to that about life and about his life in kind of a similar way, reminiscent to somebody reflecting on the end of their life. And it ends with him having a heart attack and dying just right on stage. And then he's revived again. The crowd's laughing at him and he does it all over again. I interpreted the track as this would be black Mitty's personal hell. When you're, performing for a long time and doing the same tracks over and over and over and over and over again, it starts to become work. So when you're performing these tracks over and over and over and over again, and you're doing all these gigs and you're, you're making all this money, it starts to become work. It isn't fun anymore. It's not art. It's just a product, a commodity. I think Black Midi is saying here that that would be their own personal hell is just playing the same music for the rest of their lives, which to me indicates that they're not going to do this black mini project forever. And I respect that, you know, sometimes you need to dip out when it's still good. Yeah. You burn hot and then you're out. And I think it makes for an appropriate closer. I do agree, Garrett. Um, That is probably my biggest complaint about the closer is that that last like few seconds. It makes sense. You know, the crazy pianos, they're like off key, off beat, but it just, it was too jarring. Those like dissonant, like, they will never make sense to me. I do not like them. I do not like them in any context. I just, it is a thing of about like prog and like most post genres that they 
either do that in more and different bands will have more different bands will have less and i just don't get it i don't i don't like don't it does not sound good it does not i've never enjoyed it in any medium don't think it adds anything it really just it feels more artsy fartsy than it does than it feels necessary i agree to an extent but i saw the intention i would also argue that it's an indictment of the audience as well like yeah it would be hell for a band to just be playing the same shit over and over again as like a commodity, like a product for consumption. But there's also the consumers that are demanding it, that are eating it up. And yeah. it's an indictment of them as well. They're just laughing at this guy's pain for their own entertainment. Yeah, good point, actually. Very good point. The only reason that they're still here doing this over and over and over again is because people keep asking for it. People keep consuming it and demanding it. But I mean, hey, there are some musicians that Love doing it. I mean, shit, the Rolling Stones are still touring. ACDC. Yeah, ACDC still tours. They love it. I mean, more power to them. I think it just depends on the artist, but yeah, that is something to wonder because, you know, sometimes you just need a break from touring. Yeah. You need to walk away for a bit. But you're right, though. It all depends on the artist and how they think about what they do. I mean, and their craft. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Keith Richards, he's been playing Can't Get No Satisfaction for like 50 years and according to him he still loves it every time personally I, that would drive me crazy <laughs> 50 years of yep. the same song <laughs> yep they play that song at almost every single show keith richards the way he says it is that's the song that made him famous that's the song that made him rich so he has an undying love for it i get it we haven't covered just about everything here i think the only song we haven't talked about is the defense i actually like that song quite a bit conceptually i think it works it's got that very ballady sound. It's basically about a pimp who's trying to justify his brothel. There are some funny one-liners <laughs> on this song. The Christian on his knees. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like, my girls are all going to hell, or so the priest says, but find me a Christian who spends as much time on their knees. <laughs> yeah. There's a great line there. But it's pretty short. It's actually the shortest song in the album besides the interlude. Well, overall, I think... Hellfire is Black Midi's best to date. The progression from Schlagenheim to Cavalcade to Hellfire is insane. I mean, the band has barely been around for four or five years now, and they have progressed so much. They are getting up there with the all-time greats. If they stay on this trajectory, like Garrett said, I could see them becoming one of the best noted bands of this generation in the rock and prog space. I think this album's incredible. It's cohesive. It's a wild roller coaster ride with a crazy amount of influences from start to finish. And I think it is worth your time. If you don't like it, I totally understand because it is a lot. Like we talked about earlier, the singer might put you off, but there is a lot to unravel here and there's a lot to enjoy. Great album. I'm going to give it a nine out of 10. It's very possible this might be my album of the year. It's definitely going to be on the list though. You can count on that. Yeah, so this album... This music in general, I'm just going to say now, it's not for everyone. It really is not. I I would have a hard time picturing a mainstream, casual listener really enjoying this. It's very, very dense, very experimental, very chaotic and wild. Personally, I love it. And I encourage anyone to check it out, at least. But I would totally understand if you hated it. <laughs> This album's subject matter is, it's very interesting, very full, and it speaks to 
this growing absurdist movement going on right now. Disillusionment. We live in times that it's easy to be disillusioned in, considering everything that's going on. I won't get too far into it, but you know. You live. <laughs> you definitely know. You're alive right now, so you know. Musically, incredible musicianship from start to finish. I love it. Overall, I would say this album is excellent. It's probably the best we'll get out of rock this year. So I'll give it a 9 out of 10 as well. All right, Garrett, what you got to say? Okay, I'm going to keep this short and concise because you guys have made a lot of good points. But this is, I will, so I'll decide to tackle this from as, as the instruments guy, the beats guy, the grooves guy. Um, let's just pretend like lyrics, themes, concepts do not exist. Now, while that was good, if you're, if you're just looking for a straight up rock banger and you're thinking, oh, experimental, and you hear those words and you're like, Ooh. You're put off some very post-punk, post-rock, real dissonant stuff and like some weird dynamic changes here. But I believe everything they set out to accomplish, they nail. Um, whether it be the inclusion of show tunes, the world music, and their rhythms. Um, there are some great riff lines, especially on Sugar Sue and Welcome to Hell. And even with the race about to begin, um, there's a lot of good pertinent guitar work. And I believe... The most experimental part that people might find difficult to get into is the vocals, but if you like, you know, old school talking heads or you like some like old school like blur and you don't mind that sort of delivery, I definitely think that you should check it out. It's so far, it's a rock album of the year. With the way this year has been going, I don't think anyone is even going to step on its lawn. Um, it is a nine out of ten. And, you know, I've even thought about giving it a nine and a half out of ten, but I guess I just didn't really... The thing that keeps it from being a ten is that at times it does get too experimental and that at times the vocal performances aren't quite up to par. Like we said, it's kind of getting above, getting out of, like, Jordy's wheelhouse a bit. He's so, punching above his weight a bit. Yeah, and that keeps it from a ten, but I think it was really solid. Amazing album. I was actually the one who picked this album. And the reason I picked this album is because, you know, I get tired of hearing that argument. Oh, there's no good rock today. There's no good rock going on. Rock is dead. Raw, blah, blah, blah. But no, it's not. It's alive and well. And it's in these little interesting niche pockets. And I think Black Midi, as far as like experimental rock, post-punk, post-rock goes, like this weird, you know, wave we're on right now. They're one of the most accessible bands in the bunch. I would agree. Yeah, them and uh, Black Country New Road, but we'll uh, we'll cover ants on another episode. Yeah, that's going to be a very spicy. very spicy episode. <laughs> Look forward to that. If you're looking to get into this band and you're trying to, if you want like a reference point of what they kind of sound like, I would say that Black Midi is the weird punk child of Frank Zappa, Primus, and King Crimson. Couldn't have said it better myself. Holy crap. Yeah, if you're if you're into any of those groups or in that space, definitely check these guys out. They are worth your time every second of it. Give it a listen. Love it or hate it, check out the album. Highly recommend it. Any final thoughts, guys? Nope. All right, well, this is Off The Key Podcast, and we're out of here. Thanks, guys.
too. here and i just wanted to give a shout out to lacrembo for the intro and outro music also check out our link tree for where to follow us we are on instagram and facebook and a variety of streaming platforms and if you could give us a sub or a listen or even a follow it'd be greatly appreciated thanks guys see you later